Welcome to the May 5th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we'll discuss the effects of intestinal microbial diversity on patient outcomes following allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplant and review the results of three different phase three trials comparing CAR T-cells to autologous stem cell transplant in patients with refractory or early relapsing large B-cell lymphoma, which have the potential to result in a paradigm shift in the standard of care for second-line therapy. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled Early intestinal microbial features are associated with CD4 T-cell recovery after allogeneic hematopoietic transplant by Oriana Miltiadis from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and colleagues. Allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation, or ALLO-HCT, can be a curative treatment option for hematological malignancies, bone marrow failure syndromes, and inherited immunodeficiencies. Grafts can be either unmodified or modified by manipulating stem cell or lymphocyte populations prior to infusion, for example, via CD34-positive stem cell selection. Immune recovery in the CD34-selected setting relies on lymphopoiesis from stem and progenitor cells, as very few mature lymphocytes are transferred in the graft. Immune recovery post-HCT is critical to long-term survival in transplant recipients, and patients with poor recovery of immune function after allo-HCT have worse outcomes, including higher risk of chronic graft-versus-host disease and non-relapse mortality, and a shorter overall survival. Several recent studies demonstrated that the intestinal microbiome can influence hematopoiesis via NOD1-dependent signaling of microbe-derived ligands directly to the hematopoietic stem cell. In addition, depleting intestinal microbiota in mice with broad-spectrum antibiotics causes a decrease in the number of circulating lymphocytes in the first few weeks following syngeneic transplant of bone marrow into recipient mice, as shown in a previous study by the group at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Moreover, a recent clinical study from this center found that higher fecal relative abundance of the staphylococcus and ruminococcus genera were associated with higher lymphocyte counts in patients during the post-transplant period. Altogether, these findings highlight that the intestinal microbial community and microbe-derived factors may influence immune reconstitution post-transplant. Thus, in the current study, these investigators explored the connection between intestinal microbiota and immune recovery in patients undergoing allo-HCT. By characterizing microbial strains from patient stools and correlating this data with lymphocyte subsets in peripheral blood samples. The study analyzed 2,067 stool samples and 2,370 peripheral blood samples from 894 patients who underwent allo-HCT at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center between September 2009 and November 2019. Patients with any hematologic malignancy or non-malignant hematologic condition, any conditioning regimen, and or degree of donor-recipient match were included. These also had to have at least one stool sample available for analysis from 30 days before or 730 days after the transplant. One of the goals was to compare the stool microbiota composition and immune cell recovery in patients who received allografts from three different sources, unmodified bone marrow, peripheral blood stem cell grafts, and ex vivo CD34-selected grafts. 
Bacterial 16S ribosomal RNA was sequenced using the Illumina MySeq platform, and Amplicon sequence variants were mapped in the NCBI 16S ribosomal RNA sequence database using BLAST. Flow cytometry of peripheral blood samples was employed to evaluate the subsets of different lymphocyte cells. The authors adjusted their analyses for important confounding factors, including age, graft source, graft versus host disease prophylaxis, cytomegalovirus activation, the use of high-dose steroids, and anti-thymocyte globulin exposure. They found that around the time of engraftment, a higher alpha diversity in stool samples, a measure that combines the number of unique bacteria and their relative frequencies, is associated with increased overall survival and decreased non-relapse mortality. In addition, high alpha diversity around the time of engraftment was associated with higher CD4 and CD8 counts in recipients of all three graft types, both at day 100 and at day 180 post-transplant. The authors further found that fecal microbiome diversity served as an independent predictor of CD4 T-cell count three months after HCT in those patients who received a CD34-selected allograft, who were dependent on de novo lymphopoiesis for immune recovery. Interestingly, a relative abundance of the bacilli class was associated with below-median CD4 T-cell recovery in patients receiving both unselected and CD34-selected peripheral blood stem cell grafts, while presence of the Enterobacteriaceae genus was associated with below-median CD4 T-cell counts in the latter group. And when modeling the taxonomic profiles in all patients and all graft types, Multivariate analysis revealed that a higher relative abundance of the Staphylococcus genus in the early post-transplant period was independently associated with worse CD4 T-cell recovery at 100 days post-transplant. Taken together, these findings suggest that the intestinal microbiome composition, or the factors produced by intestinal bacteria, can affect early lymphopoiesis and the homeostasis of T-cells post-transplantation. In an accompanying commentary, Nellie Bajanian from the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, and Armin Rashidi from the University of Minnesota note that although this study by Miltiadis and colleagues, as well as previous research, indicate a strong association between microbiota diversity and transplant outcomes, the presence and nature of a causal link remain unclear. For example, it is unknown whether antibiotics contribute to both the diversity of the intestinal microbiota and to count recovery, and if the association between microbiota and immune reconstitution can be mediated or even confounded by antibiotics. Bejanian and Rashidi also wonder why staphylococcus abundance was positively associated with lymphocyte counts in the prior study by this group, but worse reconstitution of CD4-positive T-cells in the present study. Does this reflect a positive impact on other lymphocyte subsets not evaluated in the present study? And what might the function and clinical impact of those other subsets be? Future studies could explore whether interventions in the gut microbial community, such as fecal microbiota transplantation, have a positive clinical impact on patients undergoing HCT. In addition, shotgun sequencing, rather than amplicon sequencing as used in the current study, could be attempted in order to delineate specific species and strains within a bacterial genus that mediate associations with immune reconstitution following transplant. Finally, validation of findings in other centers using different antibiotic and non-antibiotic practices seems important before clinical therapeutics can be developed.
Next up, we'll discuss an article in Blood entitled CAR T-Cells as Second-Line Therapy of Large B-Cell Lymphoma, a Paradigm Shift, by Jason Weston from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and Lori Sane from the British Columbia Cancer Agency in Vancouver, Canada. Large B-cell lymphoma, or LBCL, comprises a group of aggressive heterogeneous hematological malignancies of which diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is the most common. Most patients with LBCL can be cured with chemoimmunotherapy. However, the management of the remaining 40% who become refractory to or relapse from initial treatment remains a challenge. For the past 25 years, the standard of care for patients with relapsed disease has been high-dose chemotherapy followed by autologous stem cell transplantation, or ASCT, in chemotherapy-sensitive patients. This is based on the idea that therapeutic resistance may be overcome with higher doses of cytotoxic chemotherapy. Unfortunately, only approximately half of patients can tolerate this intensive treatment, and it is typically successful in only a quarter of transplant-eligible patients. Chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies that target the B-cell marker CD19 have emerged as a promising new third-line treatment option in this challenging group of patients. CAR T-cell therapy involves multiple steps that start with leukapheresis of patient T-cells. Patients then wait several weeks for production of the CAR T-cell product, where the gene encoding the chimeric antigen receptor is inserted into the T-cell genome and the CAR T-cells are expanded ex vivo. Patients are then infused with CAR T-cells after receiving lymphodepleting therapy. CAR T-cells were named the 2018 Advance of the Year by ASCO for their ability to induce responses and durable remissions in patients with hematologic malignancies. There are three CAR T-cell products currently approved, axicaptogene silalusal, or axicel, tisagenlalusal, or tisacel, and lysocaptogene merilusal, or lysocell. These products have differences that include the antigen receptor co-stimulatory domains, mechanism of CAR gene transfer, and ability for cryopreservation. Despite these differences, the three different products have shown similar efficacy and toxicity profiles, although no clinical trials have directly compared the products. In patients with multiply relapsed large B-cell lymphoma, all three CAR T-cell products have established their utility in three phase two clinical trials, ZUMO-1, Juliet, and Transform. Axicel, Tisacel, and Lysocel induced durable remissions in approximately one-third of treated patients and have been approved by the FDA for patients with relapsed or refractory LBCL after at least two lines of therapy. In this article in Blood, Weston and Sane interpret the design and provide a detailed overview of the results from three new randomized phase three trials comparing the efficacy of CAR T-cell therapy versus ASCT in patients with LBCL refractory to or relapsed within 12 months from the completion of first-line therapy. The goal of all three trials, Zuma-7, Belinda, and Transform, was to determine if CAR T-cell therapy could improve outcomes in patients with high-risk relapsed or refractory LBCL in place of the standard platinum-based salvage chemotherapy followed by ASCT. All three international studies enrolled patients at medical centers with expertise in both ASCT and CAR T-cell therapy. Main eligibility criteria were similar across the three trials, with the exception of 75 years being the upper age limit in TRANSFORM. Leukophoresis was performed on all patients in Belinda and TRANSFORM to allow crossover from the standard of care. In Zuma 7, 
patients could access CAR T-cell therapy outside of the trial protocol. Transform allowed only one cycle of bridging chemotherapy. Belinda allowed more than one cycle, while Zuma-7 did not allow bridging, but permitted the use of corticosteroids for disease stabilization. The primary endpoint in all three trials was event-free survival, or EFS, with variations in the way events were defined. Death, disease progression, and stable disease were considered events in all three trials, while initiation of new anti-lymphoma therapy was considered an event in Zuma-7 and Transform only. In all three trials, more than 65% of enrolled subjects had primary refractory disease. The Zuma-7 trial enrolled a total of 359 adult patients with a median age of 59 and randomized them to either Axacel or standard-of-care chemoimmunotherapy. At a median follow-up of 24.9 months, the median EFS was significantly greater in the Axacel compared to the standard-of-care group, 8.3 months versus 2.0 months. The 24-month EFS was also superior in patients receiving Axacel, namely 41% versus 16%. Similarly, 83% of patients in the Axacel group achieved an objective treatment response compared to 50% of patients receiving standard chemoimmunotherapy, with complete responses occurring in 65% versus 32% of patients, respectively. Crossover was not allowed, but 56% of patients in the standard-of-care arm went on to receive CAR T-cell therapy off-protocol. The interim analysis revealed an estimated overall survival of 61% for patients receiving Axacel and 52% for those receiving standard chemotherapy. The TRANSFORM trial randomized a total of 184 adult patients with primary refractory or relapsed LBCL to either Lysocell or the standard-of-care. Median patient age in the two groups was 60 and 58 years, respectively. Median EFS and progression-free survival, or PFS, were significantly longer in the lysocell group compared to the standard-of-care group. Namely, median EFS was 10.1 versus 2.3 months, and median PFS was 14.8 versus 5.7 months in the two respective groups. The complete response and objective response rates were also significantly higher in patients who received lysocell compared to those who received standard chemoimmunotherapy, 66% versus 39% and 86% versus 48%, respectively. A total of 51% of patients crossed over from the standard of care to receive lysocell. The interim analysis of overall survival indicated a trend of improvement in the lysocell arm, but has not demonstrated a statistical improvement to date. The Belinda trial randomized a total of 322 adult patients with refractory or progressing LBCL to receive either Tisicel or standard of care consisting of salvage chemotherapy plus HSCT. Median patient age in the two groups was 59.5 and 58 years, and the maximum patient age was 79 years. Median EFS in both treatment arms was 3.0 months, with a response reported in 46.3% of the patients in the Tisicel group, compared to 42.5% of patients in the standard of care group. The objective response and complete response rates were not statistically different between the two treatment arms. A total of 51% of patients crossed over from the standard of care to receive Tisicel. At week 6, lymphoma progressed in 25.9% of patients who received Tisicel, compared to 13.8% of patients who received the standard of care. Grade 3 or greater toxicities were observed in nearly 90% of patients in both treatment groups on all three studies, 
However, neurological toxicity and cytokine release syndromes were observed exclusively in the CAR T-cell arm, while thrombocytopenia was more common in the standard-of-care arm. Grade 3 or greater neutropenia and anemia were observed in both treatment arms, while the rates of grade 3 or greater cytokine release syndrome were relatively low in all three studies, falling in the range between 1% and 6%. Grade 3 or greater immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome was more commonly observed in Zuma-7 than in TRANSFORM and Belinda trials, with rates of 21%, 4%, and 2%, respectively. Taken together, the results of these three trials yielded conflicting findings, with Zuma-7 and TRANSFORM meeting the primary endpoint of improved event-free survival and Belinda showing no significant differences between the standard of care and CAR T-cell therapy. However, Weston and Sane note that differences in trial design, the allowance of bridging therapy, the definition of the primary endpoint, and the option to cross over to cellular therapy likely had strong implications on the final results. They also suspect that the negative results in Belinda could be attributed to delayed administration of CAR T-cell therapy or its use in a setting of poorly controlled disease. Weston and Sane further note that the results from Zuma-7 and Transform support a paradigm shift to second-line Axacel or Lysocell in select patients who are refractory to or those who relapse within a year of first-line therapy completion. They also argue that second-line CAR T-cell therapy should be offered to patients who were previously considered transplant ineligible, considering its favorable efficacy and toxicity profile. Previous studies have shown that the population of CAR T-cell eligible patients is somewhat larger than the transplant eligible population, as demonstrated by the tolerability of CAR T-cells in older patients and those with moderate comorbidities. The authors conclude that additional studies are needed to determine if patients who progress or relapse despite receiving second-line CAR T-cell therapy would benefit from ASCT. Future research should also provide additional insights into the outcomes and mechanisms of resistance within different patient subgroups. Weston and Sane are optimistic that the development of off-the-shelf CAR T-cell products or allogeneic cell therapies and the identification of better bridging strategies will broaden treatment eligibility and enhance the outcome of patients with LBCL. In conclusion, Lori Sane summarizes the key takeaways and clinical implications of their review. This review focuses on exciting new data, evaluating the use of CAR T-cell therapy in the second-line setting for relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma. We know that patients with refractory or relapsed disease following frontline therapy remain a real challenge to treat. With our standard approach still relying on platinum-based chemotherapy and high-dose chemotherapy and stem cell transplantation. Three randomized controlled trials, Zuma-7, Belinda, and Transform, have now challenged this algorithm by comparing the use of CAR T-cell therapy versus our standard of care approach in the highest risk patients, those with primary refractory disease or who relapse early within one year of completing initial therapy. Ultimately, two of these trials, Zuma-7 and Transform, have yielded positive results with markedly improved event-free survival seen in the CAR T-cell therapy arms. The Belinda trial was negative, which has led to some controversy, but ultimately this may be explained based on limitations within the trial design. The FDA has recently approved Axacel in the second-line setting based on the results of the Zuma-7 trial, 
So it's likely that we're going to see a shift in the treatment algorithm in the second line setting of large B-cell lymphoma. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.